The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase podcast. My answer to this question is always, and this is true. I mean, the World Series was great, but but what sticks out to me most is. This is the Cutting to the Chase podcast. I am joined by former Chicago Cubs public address announcer, Andrew Bellison. Andrew, thanks so much for coming on. It's really awesome to talk with you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for calling. It's really good to join you. Yeah, so, um, so just kind of starting. So you held perhaps the most unique position in sports, public address announcer, Chicago Cubs. So... Growing up, did you know that was the role that you wanted to get into, and how did it come about? You know, growing up, um, I knew I wanted to get into sports broadcasting if I could. Uh, that was my lifelong dream and goal is to be a broadcaster. Every time, ever, ever since the first time I heard Harry Carey as a kid growing up in the Chicago suburbs on WGN back in the day, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I was able to do it at the minor league level for a while and then college uh, broadcast for the for the student radio station and the minor league baseball. And I did some PA in the minor leagues too. Public address is not something that I ever aspired to do, nor did I think I would ever necessarily end up doing it. Um, I was really young when the Cubs were hiring for that position in 2011. And I applied um, just on a whim. There was almost 3,000 people that applied, and I, I kind of figured, you don't have any chance, man. Like, you're a 20, just 23-year-old kid, um, and I got hired. So that's kind of how that's kind of how it went down. But, yes, getting into the sports broadcast announcing world was something that, with, that always interested me greatly and still does today. So you probably envisioned maybe being on TV or even in radio, maybe calling games or something, but not necessarily the PA guy, let alone for the Cubs at Wrigley Field. Yeah, totally. Calling games in the booth, I still do it. I love to do it. I mean, it's it's one of my favorite things. Um, but yeah, I mean, to be able to do what I did for a team I grew up rooting for, it was crazy. I mean, really cool. Yeah, I know. That's that's the other thing. It's not just the fact that you got that job at the major league level before a team that you grew up as a fan watching. So that's really cool. And it's just, yeah, like you said, uh, it's one of those things where like you or I or whoever could apply for something thinking like, what's the odds? And then you're the guy that gets that. It's just crazy. It's kind of it's got to be kind of like a pinch me type of moment, right? Oh, 100 percent. Well, and it, I mean, it's a good lesson, not to sound cheesy or cliche, but, it, you know, you you miss every opportunity that you don't take a chance on. So there you go. I mean, I was the last person that probably thought that I would have been the one hired for that job. And I was and I was fortunate enough to spend 10 years there. So it is. It's funny how stuff works out. Going back through the last decade or so when you were at Wrigley doing games, I'm just kind of go through like a, a quick few questions that I have regarding that specific role in that time there. So. Uh, I'm curious, like, what was the favorite name if you had one that you got to call on a regular basis? Because I can tell you which name always I, that always sticks out to me when I would when I would hear it. But I was curious if you had a specific name, maybe that was your favorite to call or say all the time. Yeah, for like a home team player, I, you know, when I got hired, Soriano was still playing uh, left field uh, every day for the Cubs for a year or two. I loved doing Al- Alfonso Soriano. Aramis Ramirez was still there at the time. I always loved him, anyways. That was a fun one to say. Um, then, you know, kind of into the championship years, I loved Rizzo yeah. um, and I, yeah. I loved doing I loved doing Javier Baez, too. That was fun. That was fun for me. Yeah, I was going to say the Anthony Rizzo name, the way you would say it would always stick out to me. So I was 
I haven't been to Wrigley Field in forever. It was 2001. Yeah. I'm not even, I, you know, I'm in Virginia anyway, so I don't get to Chicago very often. So it's been a while since I've been to a game there. So I would at least hear it on TV in the background, like the the names being announced and everything. And I think I know the answer to this question, but what's your favorite game that's, that, that sticks out that you were able to be there for? You know, there's a lot of them. Um, I'm often asked about my first opening day. I love opening day always. Like opening day is... And being a Cubs fan, I mean, let's face it, for my lifetime, I'll be 35 in February. They have been bad for most of my lifetime. So opening day was always the fresh start, you know, and it meant meant summer was coming and and the Cubs were still in the race because it was opening day. I love it. My first opening day sticks out. It was a blur to me, but it sticks out. I think, you know, my answer to this question is always, and this is true. I mean, the World Series was great, but but what sticks out to me most is the NLCS clincher against the Dodgers with Kershaw pitching for LA, you know, it was special twofold. Obviously they punched their ticket to the world series, which was amazing. Got to do it at home. My, my wife who at the time we weren't married yet. Um, and our oldest daughter were at the game. So it was a special kind of family sentimental thing for me because we got to, you know, celebrate together after, um, that one sticks out the most to me. It followed second, probably still not by World Series, is when they beat the Cardinals in 2015 in the division series. That was just nuts. Like they had arrived at that point. Those two really, really stick out to me. Yeah, the opening day makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I actually did in my mind automatically assume it was going to be the game six clincher against the LA Dodgers just because they won the pennant that night and everything. And of course, like you said, the World Series being able to do that is awesome and, you know, iconic on many levels for the fact that, you know, it was one of the few, uh, you know, games at Wrigley in the World Series in years, obviously decades or a long time. But yeah, that clincher. And then, like you said, 2015, that was like when they finally like arrived, like that was the start of that quote-unquote golden era of Cubs baseball. You said opening day, which I wish I could get to an opening day. Just in general, that would be really cool. I think awesome. That that just sticks out to me the most among the sports. You know, uh, opening day is just always like that, kind of like a holiday to me. A hundred percent. And what stinks here, though, is opening day weather is just atrocious. I mean, we had a snow out in the ensuing years. It's If it's 40 degrees and sunny, you're doing great. Normally it's raining. It's gloomy. It sucks. The weather's atrocious. But but yeah, it's like you don't care because it's opening day. So I was also curious, with that role as a public address announcer, um, what was your typical day like maybe like for a game day, just the general, uh, you know, start of the day to the end of the day what was your routine like you know i i would do a lot of game prep or series prep before a new team came in and i follow the league obviously still do so i always had a pretty good beat on on other teams rosters and whatnot but familiarize yourself with with visiting teams mostly um you know that's all that can be done anywhere um but just you know the day-to-day would change in terms of pregame ceremonies and 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 the like that we would possibly MC or have, you know, goings on on the field. Um, other than that, the, the, the script and the routine stayed pretty much the same, almost to a point in monotony at times. Um, mm-hmm. But I try to get there, you know, a couple, three hours before the ball game, do my prep work because we would start our pregame a good hour, hour and a half before first pitch, depending on the day. So it was almost like once the game starts, you kind of chill out a little bit because then you just have to worry about the game and all the, all the uh, extracurriculars are essentially finished, if that makes sense. Yeah. Did you have any uh, specific relationships maybe with any players or, of course, like Len and JD or any other 
figures maybe in and in, in around Wrigley? Yeah, you know, I got to know Len and JD and, and Pat and Ron and um, just from seeing them upstairs, really great guys, guys I looked up to, you know, uh, kind of growing up and as a kid, um, as as an aspiring broadcaster too, uh, especially Pat Hughes um, and Len as well. I mean, I remember when he got hired by the Cubs when I was in high school, but but yeah, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to work a lot with Cubs Productions and and some of the work they did and, and kind of host a, a little series that they called Catching Up. And we'd sit down with a lot of Cubs alumni convention and other times throughout the year. And that was fun for me because I'm a baseball guy. I played, you know, I had a very, a very fledgling division three career that didn't last very long, but I loved it. Um, so to be able to pick the brains of former big leaguers and some hall of famers and, you know, guys of that caliber, um, was awesome for me. So yeah, our paths would definitely cross, you know, depending on the time of year or the function or the event. And I, and I always enjoyed that greatly. And we'll get into this a little bit more in a bit, but um, obviously you weren't the PA man last year, but did you attend any games as a fan? I didn't. No, and it was honestly the first time that I hadn't been to Wrigley Field for a game and I don't know how long, probably well before I got hired because I feel like we always were at least making a trip a few times a year, even before I worked there. So no, uh, I did not go last year. I honestly checked out of baseball last year almost entirely. My interest level in it after 10 years of 81 games was, was I don't want to say it waned, but I was just, I just needed a break. So I didn't even follow the team nearly as closely or the league as I normally would have. And it was a, it was a really nice refresher. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I interned in minor league baseball, so I, I know what that grind is like just on a, just for one year, let alone a decade of doing, you know, something uh, every year. So I get that, you know, t- taking a break, you have it, you have the opportunity to kind of take a break there. So I, I, I definitely get that. Yeah. And, and I didn't obviously travel with the team or anything either. We would have events and functions when the team was out of town. So I'd be at the ballpark, you know, still not every day, but from time to time. But yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, and myself included, now that I'm not in it, you just take it for granted. Well, the, the Cubs are on every day or the Giants are on every day, but that baseball schedule, when you're in it, it's grueling to say the least. You know, if you did it at minor league level, like I did as well, it is, it's a tough schedule. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't sure if maybe, um, have you had a chance to, to maybe talk with the new PA man, Jeremiah Prabaraki? You know, I talked to Jeremiah before he got hired and I spoke to him. I, I messaged him after he was hired to congratulate him. Uh, I met Jeremiah introduced himself to me when he was just a kid. He's still a kid, my God. But when he was a younger kid, um, at Wrigley and I saw him and met him a few times there, always such a great guy. I actually broadcast, um, I was a fill-in for a University of Illinois Chicago um, baseball game this spring on ESPN, and he did PA there and still does uh, for some of their athletics as far as I know. But anyway, long story short, saw him before he got hired, just a week or so before, and I told him, man, you are you are awesome. I always liked him. He's got a great voice, great approach. I think his style fits Wrigley so well. And I told him before he got hired, I said, I, I hope you're the guy, man, because you – you are a good fit. And lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, there it is. So really, really happy for him. It's, it's a, it's a really, really cool story. Yeah. I think he's what 21 and the voice is booming. Like you wouldn't know by listening just how young he is, like you alluded to. So it's really cool for him that he got that role. And it's just, I can't even imagine, obviously he's experienced and your experience being in, you know, broadcasting and doing that, but it's hard for me to imagine doing like any MCing for, you know, let alone a stadium or something. So I would say it takes a lot of, you know, 
I can just imagine the nerves if it was me doing it. Like, were you ever nervous doing games? You know, I think there was always a, I don't want to say nervous, but an edge maybe. Like, if you lose that, the if you lose the butterflies, then you lose your edge. So it keeps you prepared. It keeps you on your toes. Maybe nerves in a good way, I guess, would be a good way to describe it. Not anxious, not anxious to a fault, but just enough to know that you are live in a live setting with 40,000 people. So be on top of your game. Yeah. I always, I always tell people this is there may be 40,000 people in the ballpark, but the only people that were looking at me were the ones on the rooftops across the street. The other 39,842 have their back to you. So it's not like being in a room with a hundred people staring at you, giving a speech, say to your speech class in college or high school, which is a little, little more soothing than, than when you have a, you know, a hundred sets of eyeballs on you. Yeah, I, I guess it kind of also would be like not to not to like belittle any of it, but like it's kind of like part of that background sound at a baseball game, like with the actual all the sounds going on. And even if like APA man in general messed up a name or something, most likely people aren't even going to notice, I would assume. <laughs> I think you hit it on the head. Well, and I, I don't think there's any disrespect there at all. I, a public address announcer should not essentially be talked about because you are part of the background. And I feel like if you are spoken about, you've done something wrong. I mean, that, that's just kind of how, how, how I always approached it. You, you, funny you brought up Len Casper. I follow him on Twitter and I saw the other night that he tweeted something and I don't know what event he was watching, but something to the fact of PA announcers out there, you don't need to scream. We can hear you. And my God, I, I couldn't have said that. I, I lived by those words my entire PA career, wherever I was doing it. I cannot stand the over the top approach that a lot of guys have. And I'm, I'm not, you know, you got to do what is good for you and what's good for the setting in which you work. But it was just never my style. So when he when I saw him say that on Twitter, I, I didn't I didn't interact with it. But I, I thought to myself, you know what, Len, you are right on the money. I'm with you there. And then obviously you have a World Series ring. So I can imagine that's among your prized possessions. Is it like locked up in a case somewhere or in a vault? It is. And I, I, t- I do wear it once in a while. Not much. It's fun to wear. I like to share it with people still. It's, it's so cool for me to have that opportunity. I, David Ross, before he was the, the, the Cubs manager, came to the booth to sing the stretch the night before we got our rings, but the players already had. I know he had retired at the time, but the players had already gotten their rings. So he came in with his ring and I was gawking at it. And uh, he flipped it to me in the booth. And I was, I mean, my knees were knocking. You know, I'm thinking, yeah. holy cow, this is, look at this ring. Um, and then was fortunate enough to get one the next day. And I still don't feel like I deserve it. Um, I was just along for the ride, man. But it was, Yeah, I I have a lot of memorabilia that I collect and always have and still do. But in terms of mementos, that is far and away. It takes the cake. Oh, yeah. And yeah, those things have a a nice little weight to them. I know like I uh, I mean, not that I own one, but um, when I was down in Augusta, uh, they were the San Francisco Giants affiliate. So the clubby had three from when they won in 10, 12, 14. And I kind of have them in my hand and they do, you know, they weigh a little bit. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a wrist workout for sure if you wear it out for the night. No no question. I understand after a decade it might be time for something new, maybe explore another passion. So is that why you decided to leave the role? It is. Yeah, I, you know, it was it was something to me that had run its course. Uh I needed something different. I really 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 wanted to get back into broadcasting and that's where I've turned my attention to. 
the PA role was great to me. It just got monotonous after 10 years. And it was, it was something, it was a position that essentially doesn't let you use any creative talent, which is no, no knock on anything. It's just, that's what the position is. I mean, you read what's on the script and that's what a public address announcer does. And that's phenomenal. Um, but for me, you know, after 800 games and 10 years, it was time for a change and to kind of re-pursue the dream I always had as a kid. But it was an amazing 10-year pit stop, if I can, if I can call it that. I mean, it, it was just it, – it couldn't have been any better. Yeah, no, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, I can't imagine – like, that was a really cool job that you were able to do. And now, like you said, now it's time for something new. And I know, obviously, you're doing the Locked On Cubs podcast. And are, are there other endeavors that you're kind of interested or, or doing right now in addition to the podcast? Well, last summer was awesome for me. Uh, spring, summer, fall, I got to go back and broadcast. Uh, did a lot of local colleges and universities, basketball um, and baseball. Did a lot of a lot of freebie work with a lot of minor league teams in the area, but I loved every second of it because I was in the booth again calling games, you know, and I really, really loved that. The lockdown thing, totally out of left field. I'll be honest with you. I never, I don't listen to podcasts. I never have never hosted a podcast. I've been on a few. Um, so this was curveball city for me, but when they reached out, um, really awesome network and I am super pumped about it. And yeah, it's only, it's been a couple weeks only, but it's been, it's been a ton of fun, something totally new. Um, a lot of creative ability for, for input and, and you know, what you're going to discuss and it lets you really analyze and dissect the game and the teams and, and that's what I love. So yeah, it's been a been a really cool new venture so far. And I think um, I I follow a guy Sean Sears on Twitter. I think he was running that podcast back in the day. So like locked on Cubs. Like since you take you you got into it, they were kind of I guess on hiatus for a little bit, if that's the right way to put it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. So I don't know. I don't know if you know Sean or not. But uh, I remember he was running that because I was actually going back to find one of the one of your first episodes. And I was like listening to an older one. And then I was like, oh, that was 2020, not 21. So I realized that there must have been a gap there. But really cool that you're doing that. So was it different for you to kind of start doing a podcast, trying to think of whether it was topics, content, uh, and especially now with the baseball lockout, because it isn't locked on an everyday podcast. So. <laughs> you got it, man. Yeah. yeah, I joke with my wife. I said, man, hell of a time I picked to start this, right? MLB's locked out. There's no games to talk about. And I've never done this before. So good luck with content. But no, I mean, yeah, it's a daily, but it's quick. It's quick hits, which I like um, because I have a short attention span, too. So, yeah. you know, you're doing a 15, 20, 25 minute show um, at the most. And uh just Monday through Friday, we'll scale down here coming towards the end of this month um, to, you know, maybe two or three a week until hopefully spring training ramps up, you know, when pitchers and catchers hopefully report if they can hash out their differences middle of February. So we'll be on uh, kind of the skeleton schedule until then. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's a challenge at times to find content that I am interested in that I hope the listener will be interested in as well. But but being able to have that ability to input um, and kind of decide what goes where, uh, I really like, and, and that's been, that's been one of my favorite parts, parts so far of, of, of doing lockdown. And you've got the mic and I was curious, do you edit or do you have someone else that does the editing and all that stuff? 
you know, I do, I do, I try not to just to keep it easy. I'm not good at it. Like I said, I'm, t- I'm totally learning that part still. A uh, couple need interviews scheduled here in the near future that I will have to edit. So I'm going to have to force myself in, into the unknown a little bit more, but I'm going to keep it as simple as possible. But in terms of, of, you know, the support that lockdown offers, it's, it's really great allowing me to be as basic on my end as possible, which I greatly appreciate. So, uh, obviously, like we were saying, there's a baseball lockout, but, uh, and I'll I'll go back uh, a second also. I think, I think it kind of maybe, uh, you might've picked the right time to maybe, uh, change career paths only because, you know, you saw the best of the Cubs had to offer and now they're kind of reloading. So, uh, not that that was planned around that or anything, but what do you think about the Cubs as a group right now? Were you surprised even going back to last year? Now, I know like when they had to trade all those guys at the deadline, that was probably, you know, it was obviously inevitable based on where they were. They didn't have them signed to extensions, but now you see where they are. Uh, What do you think about this team right now as they try to reload and go forward? It's a, it's a really good question. Well, I think that a lot of people forget last year in the middle of June, this was a team that was 10 games over 500. They were 38 and 28 and they had a really good back half of the bullpen with Andrew Chafin and Ryan Tapera and Craig Kimbrell, uh, all three pieces, which were part of those trades you alluded to. And then the big three left, obviously not by choice, but Rizzo and Bryant and Baez traded away. Um, I, I think with that said, there's a lot more here than a lot of people or a lot of Cubs fans are, are very hard on this team in this city. And so is the media may realize, um, the Wade Miley deal to beef up the rotation, claiming him off waivers from Cincinnati, I think is going to really, really be one of the better Jed moves when when it's all said and done for him, even if it's for a year or two what, when we look back. But the Stroman thing, I mean, I'm not going to say that was out of left field, but it surprised the, the you-know-what out of me. And, man, I was pumped. I mean, that's a big deal. And I don't think they're done. I mean, Jed had said there was a commitment to spending some money. They still have, in baseball dollars, very few, you know, uh, committed to their, their team in terms of uh, – player salaries for next year. So there's still money there to be spent. And when lockout is lifted, I think there's going to be more um, that they do, hopefully maybe at the shortstop position. But but yeah, that's one of the things we're, we're actually doing on Lockdown Cubs now is kind of taking a look, an in-depth look at, at each position group day by day. And we've, we've gotten through the, the starting rotation of the bullpen. And I, you know what, Will, I, I think there's a lot more here than meets the eye. And I, I think that you, know, you, you bring in a couple more pieces that they need and you get some guys that play at their potential or above. And, and this is suddenly a team that is going to turn some heads next year. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Stroman was trying to recruit Correa right then on Twitter. So talk about timing, not to say that if there wasn't a lockout that he was going to sign the next day or anything. But it, it kind of sucks just because, you know, I know that just because they're in lockout, that doesn't mean Correa was ready to sign anyway. It doesn't mean that he's not still buddy buddy with Stroman and he's like yeah I want to go to Chicago in three months and I'll be there you know it could still play out however it's going to play out but it just seemed kind of like crappy timing because it was like things were happening we were seeing a lot of moves we don't see baseball free agent signings usually happen until you know December maybe more so January and so on and obviously the lockout spurred that but uh I mean the way it was going who's to say it wouldn't have happened sooner than later 
Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I mean, you're right. It was a it was a windfall of moves. Look what the Mets did. They were out there signing everybody. They were throwing checks around. And yeah, the timing, I mean, is there's never good timing, I suppose, but the timing did stink. And the Cubs snuck that Stroman deal right right in there at 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 uh, you know, at the final hour and and uh, I do. I think they'll pick up kind of where they left off in terms of piecing things together when it is finally lifted. And hopefully that's that's sooner rather than later. When do you think the lockout might end? Uh, hopefully before spring training, like you were saying before. Yeah. I, you know, I was talking about this the other day with with a couple fans and just my opinion. I wanted to hear theirs, too. I'd be curious what you think. But I I mean, it's a, it's carry over to the first of the year for sure. I, I could see this resolving sometime end of January, maybe. I mean, if, if it were sooner, I'd be surprised. But maybe that's just me being a pessimist. I don't think that we're going to lose anything from this. That's just my personal opinion. You know how that kind of goes when when things ramp up and it comes to a head like it did and then then and then a lockout like this occurs you see you see the you know both parties kind of back off and and there's a little bit of a a hiatus for a while in terms of discussion before it before it heats up again so you know with the holidays coming up uh, I, I think that we will have a very clear picture on where we're headed as a game come first couple weeks of January and hopefully that means a resolution at at or near that time. Yeah, I I hope so too. I I guess I'm not too worried about it right now, just because it is the off season, and as as long as they do get it done, figured out before spring training, it's kind of like okay, whatever. It's the off season anyway. But because it's a lockout, and we just don't know how long it could. Go. I mean, look at last year, but the whole COVID shortened season, it almost felt like they weren't even going to figure that out until they did in what late July. So it's just hard to know with the way the uh, commissioner side of things and the owners and, or the players try to negotiate and kind of any kind of agreement or, or whatever. So hopefully they can wrap it up sooner than later. Yeah. I mean, you try to see, look at the silver lining, I suppose. And like you said, doing this now rather than, you know, February 15th is good. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a backhanded proactive approach, right? So, uh, it, like you said, it gives you plenty of calendar time to hash things out, to not lose, you know, any spring training action or, or at least, camp wise. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I got a good feeling about it, but middle of January, I think we'll have a clear picture of where everybody stands. Just a few more things. And I was just curious actually about the state of baseball in your mind. Do you like the changes that they were making with the, like the extra inning role and like with the man on second and maybe having the DH in both leagues and, I don't know. I'm trying to think of some of the other things that baseball has been doing, but what do you, no. where do you come off? <laughs> no, I yeah. don't. I, in all honesty, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, you know, I'm a, I get a lot of flack from from my wife. I'm a I'm a I'm an 80 year old stuck in a 34 year old's body mentally, not physically. I hope, but mentally, you know, I'm a purist. I understand, you know, it's a business, and and fans have to understand that too, because that's just the nature of the beast now, and it's a big business. Let's be honest. But no, I don't like it. I I I like the I like the. I like pitchers that hit. I like the strategy that you have to implement as a manager in the National League, having a pitcher in the lineup, whether he's a good hitter or not. I don't like, you know, having the winning run 180 feet away before anybody even comes to the plate in extra innings. I think it's cheap. I, I just, it it's fun and gimmicky if you're playing in the backyard with your buddies, but not at the major league level. I just, I just don't care for it. But hey, I mean, we're not paid to make those decisions. We're just paid to be there to, to talk about them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, so no, to answer your question, I don't love a, a lot of the changes that have gone on. Now, with that said, I, I do like some of them. They're not really enforced all that well, but the pitch clock and 
maybe the minimum batter rule out of the pen. That's not a bad thing, I suppose, because the pace of play more often than not, I feel like in games in this day and age is atrocious. So if you can do things that are really going to combat that, well, that's maybe that's a good thing. But on the whole, I, I am a purist and I just the old curmudgeon that like like things the way they were, you know. Yeah, I'm 33, so I, I feel you on that. I'm kind of the same when it comes to baseball. Now, yeah, like I think they are doing away with the extra inning thing. I think they're going back to normal with that. I believe they're going back to normal with the doubleheaders in terms of no seven-inning doubleheaders anymore. Yeah, I didn't like that either with the whole – I'd rather them just do the normal doubleheaders. But, yeah, with the, the three-batter minimum with the pitcher, I kind of forget about that. Like I wasn't really in favor of it, but – I don't think about it when when they bring in a pitcher from the bullpen. If he's out there for four guys or you know three guys, I'm like, okay, he's just out there. I'm not even thinking about the fact that he could have been gone already after one or two batters, like it used to be. But I used to think about it with like the 2016 playoffs, watching the Cubs playoff games every day. I know those games were three and a half, probably four plus hours on most nights. And at least for me as a fan, I'm thinking like whatever they have to like whatever Joe Madden had to do to win that game, I'm all for. But I do get it, even whether you're a fan of it or an invested fan of a specific team or you're just a baseball fan like me watching the World Series this past year. And it's like, OK, I'm not a Braves fan. I'm not an Astros fan. I like baseball, but I don't have to watch this entire four hour game if it's not really my team. So I get that time issue. Yeah, you can't. I mean, it's like I when you're at home, you can flip the channel. But when you're there, you can't. You know, going back to your point about making these changes, whether you like them or not, here's the good news. The league recognized that changes need to be made. So they try something and implement it and see if it works. And maybe it doesn't. So you have to give them credit for that. And I love that. I mean, it's a positive, proactive approach. Let's see what we can do to fix the so-called issues that we have. So the proactivity in that aspect, whether we agree with some of the things that they decided to do or will decide to do or not. You know, I like I like to see him take that approach at least. So one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, um, you were kind of talking about it before about on the podcast, I believe, about Sammy Sosa and whether or not maybe he would, you know, have a chance at the Hall of Fame. So where do you come off uh, on Sosa and just the whole Hall of Fame candidate candidacy with him? Man, it's such a hard. It's great conversation, right? I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to know where you stand on these guys too. I. I you know, and I'm biased. Like we're the same age. I grew up here. Sammy was Sammy when I was a kid. He was like our hero. You know, I mean, I was 10 years old. He's built home runs every swing. It's like this guy is a god. Yeah. I understand what, you know, what happened after he stopped playing and, and how all that went down. And, you know, I, I guess the where do you draw the line, I guess, with some of the guys who are in already and some of the guys who now are going to be off the ballot, Sammy included after this year, because he's not going to get voted in this year. I I would venture to say not right you know where do you draw the line i don't know if you look at the numbers were they aided by what he did yeah i guess so was he a hall of fame player just solely by the numbers absolutely um you know here's what's frustrating to me too you talk about sammy and you talk about guys like barry bonds you can lump them in that same same group like if they in fact did you know use performance enhancing drugs which which we know that they that they did um they were great players before that as well. I mean, you know, when bon, early in Bond's career with Pittsburgh, he was awesome, right? So yeah. mm-hmm. it's a shame that that that's the route those guys took because, you know, now it's tainted them in a lot of people's minds forever. But they were awesome players before. I mean, Sammy was a speedster, right? Always had that cannon arm, stole 25, 30 bases a year, just kind of a wiry, you know, not bulky dude, but good ball player. So 
it's unfortunate how it went down. Is he a Hall of Famer? I don't know. I, will he be a Hall of Famer? No, unfortunately. And, you know, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but the soft spot in me as a Chicago kid that grew up in the 90s here, loving him, you know, it stings a little bit. Yeah, I, I will offer my thought on that, too. I was just thinking, too, uh, I think a lot of people, for the most part, would like to see Sosa back at Wrigley, and I guess that's a Ricketts thing in terms of why he hasn't been back yet, but are you surprised that it hasn't happened yet? I would be front row center. I mean, Hall of Fame or not, I know for a fact there would be 40,000 people on their feet if Sosa was back at Wrigley Field to throw out a first pitch or to sing the stretch, whatever it may be. Yeah, Ricketts and company have said that they feel he owes the organization an apology before he'll be welcomed back. Um that's that that's they're free to feel however they they wish to feel and and that's you know something that they would obviously you know have to get I guess to welcome him back but yeah he should be welcomed back no question and and I know the fans would love it and it would just be be really cool because regardless of what you think of a guy like that what he meant for the game of baseball at a time when it needed him so badly um is immeasurable after the strike in 94 and he had this city turned upside down, man. I mean, so yeah, it would be it, it, for me, and I think uh, I think nine out of ten Cubs fans would probably feel the same way to have him back here. Um, you know, at at a convention or at 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 the ballpark would just be wow, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, yeah. I so I, I live in Virginia, but I was growing up in Columbus, Ohio, and so we had you know WGN. So that's how I started to watch the Cubs. And my dad was already a fan, having lived in Illinois, you know, growing up. So I had that Cubs connection. But yeah, I I just go back to like '98 home run race, Sosa McGuire, and see. I even loved like I I don't know if I even knew the rivalry of the Cubs and Cardinals in '98. I just saw. Sosa and McGuire, they looked like best friends. I mean, they were best friends, at least in that year. And it seemed, they made it seem so fun. I liked McGuire as much as Sosa, and uh, which I know is like crazy to think now. But I was like, I mean, I can respect Pujol, so I'm not going to be like, oh, he's my favorite. You know what I'm saying? But, sure. um, but you know, with... Uh, you know, with Sosa back then, it was like, yeah, the guy was couldn't do anything wrong. And then I guess that first crack or that first chink in the armor, I think, happened in 03 with the corked bat, which, I mean, isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world, but it's kind of like the the excuse when, you know, it was my batting. Maybe that was the case. I don't know. It seemed flimsy, but it's kind of like whatever. But uh, the whole steroid thing in general, whether or not he did or um you know was ever officially proven guilty of it the way i look at it now is bud selig who was the commissioner back then is in the hall of fame so it's like they probably should put these guys in the hall of fame if the commissioner overseeing the entire era <laughs> is in the hall of fame for you know it's a great point well i mean it's a really good point and i don't understand personally how you get some of these guys from that era who garner 30 40 50 percent of the hall of fame vote then you guys got guy you know, some guys that get six, eight, 10%, like what's the difference? You know, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird debate. It's a weird topic. It's unfortunate that the game had to be put in that position. You know, when you're talking about some of these greats that will, you know, go down in history for good and bad in terms of, in terms of baseball lore. But yeah, it's a, it's a frustrating thing. I, I, whether or not, you know, Sosa ever finds his way to Cooperstown. I don't think he will unless he buys a ticket to go in and look at the museum. Um, 
having him back at Wrigley as a Cub fan would be awesome. Yeah, Andrew, I don't want to take up any more of your night. This has been really awesome to chat with you and pick your brain. I think it's been really cool to hear your stories and really appreciate you coming on and just, you know, spending some time with me. Well, it was a pleasure, man. Thank you for calling. I really appreciate it. It was good talking to you. And uh, we'll do it again sometime, I hope. Three, two, one, zero, zero, and